0: We're at Romans chapter 8, verse 20, but let's read 19. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. God is going to do something to creation. He's going to restore. He's going to redeem it that was cursed because of man's sin and the consequences, but is waiting for the sons of God, to put on immortality. We've not put on immortality yet, but we're longing for this. We're looking for this. And a verse 20 says, for the creation was subject to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. So the Lord cursed the creation. It's bore part of the sin. It's believed that God spread out man's punishment to the animal and plant kingdom, and things we don't really understand, but he saw fit to do this because of sin. Yet he gave hope, a plan, and a future at the same time. So we see that God, on one hand, he brings forth judgment and harshness, on the other, he shows love and mercy. He compares these and mixes them together. So we see people sometimes emphasizing one attribute of God. This is false. Everybody today, the false shepherds are talking about the love of God. They think it's an emotional, romantic, silly Santa Claus love. It's not. It's a goodwill and a wanting that man will turn from his sin, but it's not covenant love Those for those who are in the family. So as Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This has been so misconstrued many times that does not mean he winks at it, he looks at it, he doesn't pay attention to anything because he just loves them with emotion. This is not what it means. Jesus said, and those who do not believe on the Son, this means believe and obey him. He said the wrath of God remains on them. This is the anger. Wrath is the angering and God's reaction because of holiness to sin. He hates it. And eventually, he despises the sinner that persists in it and fights his spirit. And we have the example of hell fire to show you the end result will be everlasting punishment. And Hebrews tells us to fear the Lord and serve him reverently. For he said, our God is a consuming fire. Well, that's what he's going to be to those in the lake of fire. They are going to experience the wrath and anger of God when everything, grace has run its course, and patience and long-suffering has run its course. So people emphasize the wrong things. They twist scripture. But God has been gracious and merciful from the beginning. But he by no means, like he told Moses, he said, I'm loving kindness and good and merciful. And then he also said, but by no means clearing the guilty. So he can exercise these facets of who he is. And people like to take one or two facets and make it what God is like. This is false. So somehow in his wisdom, the creation itself was marred because of man's sin. Sin and death spread to the animal and the plant kingdom and the whole creation. It had some effect on him. So we know that God... He wishes to, and he's going to eventually. Instead, he's going to make a short work upon the earth. Well, what's a few thousand years to God? He's going to redeem what can be redeemed and renew what will be renewed or make it new. But the old system's going to be done away, one way or the other. It going to be confined in hell, or it's going to be renewed and given new life in heaven. So those things will be taken care of, and all of this is because of Christ's sacrifice and what he's done. But we're not living in that state yet. We're not living in the new heaven, the new earth. We're under probation. We're under testing time. And we have to be faithful to the Lord continuously, regardless of what the false shepherds tell us. Okay, Verse 21. So in hope, that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. So as he redeems man, and man puts on immortality after his time here is over, he's going to renew the universe or change it. He's going to renew what can be renewed and alter and create again whatever needs. There will be a new Jerusalem, a new heaven. Well, the old heaven, it was marred simply because the fallen angels sinned and turned against God while they were in heaven. So even that will be changed and altered, that no trace of sin and corruption will be in God's universe other than what is confined to the lake of fire because of God's holiness and wrath against these eternal beings. They have everlasting life, but it's going to be in hell. It's not eternal life with Christ. There is no annihilation, as far as we understand. When the Scripture talks about destruction and destroying, it's talking about marring and altering. It's not talking about annihilating. Okay, So we need to understand, Scripture says, the wicked will be given everlasting destruction. It doesn't mean they're going to be burned up and that's the end of them. The Lord tells us himself they'll, "It will be everlasting punishment, weeping and gnashing of teeth. There will be no end to it. So we need to understand this. And if uh, wicked people would concentrate a little more on that, they might reconsider how they're living for what they're going to be get paid back in justice later. So everything was poisoned by sin. And whatever was poisoned in the creation will be redeemed or recreated, the new heavens, the new earth. Sin and death, the old man, demonic and evil, will be done away with. It will not exist in God's universe where he reigns. So it will be a full restoration of all things. When the Christian receives his full inheritance, and glory in Christ. The Christian has not done that that's on the earth. We're still living in a corrupt world. We still have sin as a principle, the old nature to contend with and to keep down. We still have to resist temptations and desires for evil that proceed from the flesh, the world, and the devil. And we have to exercise warfare against it. And with the Lord's help, we have to put to death these things and keep it from ruling us. This is what it means those under grace are not under condemnation. It's not a license to sin, because those who are grossly sinning and practicing it, they're not in Christ. Or if they were, they are not anymore. You see, you have to read the whole context and chapter. Those who put to death by the Spirit— the works of the flesh shall live. It means eternally live. And those who don't will not. Those branches will be cut off that refuse to stay in the Lord and bear fruit. Okay? A lot of people, they don't want to hear that. See, they want to license the sin. They want a love that no matter what, it will find a way for them. Well, that's just wishful thinking, but it's not God's way, and it's not the way of holiness and justice. That's just human. Thinking and wishing, and that doesn't amount to anything in the long run. For we know, verse 22, that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. We're still seeing this process of life and death and destruction. We see things begin and end, process of decay and rebirth. These are all because of sin. Because of its consequences in the natural realm. And ultimately, it will be dealt with. So the whole creation is groaning, it's wanting to be delivered. The Christian is waiting for the Lord to come, the great hope that we get our inheritance, that we put on immortality, that we are more than the sons of God. We'll read that later. We are children of God now, but God has something a lot better that we can't even comprehend. So we need to understand that this is not the final solution for God. He's in the process of redeeming and testing. And so we are under probation, and we must endure to the end of our life. We must overcome. There is no one-time instant overcoming. There is no once saved, always saved. These are doctrines of devils. Scripture doesn't teach anything like that. It teaches those who continue and stay with the Lord. And they have a choice in the matter to yield to the Spirit of the Lord or to the world and the flesh and the devil. Verse 23. And not only this, but we also, ourselves, he's talking to the Christian now, we are having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly, for our adoptions as sons, and the redemption of the body, okay? So the body and its members is still subject to the old nature. Sin and its principles still abide, and only in death or the rapture is the old body left behind. So, the Christian will contend with it and warfare with it. And even though we have the first fruits, we've been given the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ to indwell us and certain benefits of grace in this life. We've been given all things, the scripture says, that we can live godly and righteously before the Lord. We've been given all the weapons and everything, and spiritual insight and help from the throne of grace. But people don't actually study this, and it implies it has to be used. It's not automatic. If you don't come to the throne of grace, you won't get grace. Even the Apostle James said, you have not because you ask not. So if you don't seek the Lord on certain things, you get nothing. Even though he may be willing to give it, you get nothing. So we need to pursue these things. Man has a will and a spirit before and after coming to the Lord. He still has his choices, and he can yield to the Holy Spirit, or he cannot yield to him. He can walk with the Lord, and then he can cease walking with him. A lot of people don't want to believe that. Well, they're damned. They're under a great delusion, and the scripture says God sends it. When they reject the spirit of truth, it's part of a punishment. It's part of the laws and principles of the spiritual kingdom. You mess with God and his grace and you wear out his long suffering, then he will let you have the evil that pursues you. He'll send the demonic as a punishment. He always did it with Israel. He sent wicked nations, more wicked than Israel, to punish Israel. And then when it was finished, he dealt with those nations. That's his right to do that. We forget that God is the great economist. He doesn't waste anything. He has a purpose. Even now, he lets the devil and demonic forces live. In a sense, we say live spiritually, and they test the saints, and they have a purpose. Uh, They were judged at the cross when the Lord said it's finished, but their sentence will not be carried out until they're cast into the lake of fire. So, legally, he's taken care of this, but he's not carried through with the sentence yet. He's using them. He has the right to do this. He's refining the saints and testing them and proving their loyalty. And people think, oh, it's all grace. Well, no, it's not. It's grace, and you're yielding to grace. It's not automatic. They're lying shepherds telling people, giving them false assurances, like they've got a ticket to heaven. You have no salvation if you don't walk with the Lord. He doesn't give salvation apart from himself. He is our salvation. So if you stay in the vine, you have salvation. You have eternal life. And if you do not continue in the vine, and you don't bear fruit, says the Father will cut you off, then you don't have eternal life anymore. You revert it back to the world, the flesh, and the devil. So Christians now have the first fruit. He's doing a work in us. He graces us. Grace is strength. It's not just the heretics, oh, they love unmerited favor. It's a lopsided grace they're talking about. God does it all. You don't do nothing. That's a false. His plan of salvation is all God. Your acceptance of the plan has something to do with you. You have to repent and confess and follow the Lord. You have a, a will in the matter. It's not automatic, okay? So grace is a strength. When, remember, Paul sought for the thorn in the flesh, the stake in the flesh to uh, be removed from him. It seemed to be a strong demonic spirit. And he prayed on three great occasions. It wasn't just simple prayers. And the Lord said, no, God was going to use it to perfect him and keep him humble. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So the grace that God's talking about for the practicing, following Christian is strength. Unmerited favor is given to anybody that he decides to be merciful to. Uh God often extends grace to the wicked, but at the same time, he's just and holy. And as Romans said previously to the Jews who were Claiming to be righteous and they were wicked, but they didn't keep the law. Paul said, You're stubborn and willful. And he said, Don't you know you're storing up wrath for the day of judgment? Then it's God's patience and long sufferings giving them time to repent. But if they don't repent, they're going to answer for everything. So those who are given more grace will be punished more. See, that's the justice of God. If He extends things, and people do not respond properly, they will answer for the extended grace that was given to them. See, that's justice. So he can show grace and justice and mercy together. He does not override his own character and who he is. We call it his attributes. He's who he is. Everything about God, he delights in. He delights in holiness, and because of holiness, he reacts to sin and he pours out his wrath and judgment against it, and he's always going to do that. He's not changed in that, okay? So he's extending grace and strength to the Christian. That's why we come to the throne of grace. It says to get help in times of need, okay? So he gives us the power to overcome sin. He gives us power to pass the testings, to put up with the temptations, and the evil of the present age, we have to deal with. We have to war with them. We have to be faithful. We are pilgrims in a foreign world, but we have to be loyal to the Lord. And he gives us the weapons and the things that are necessary, but they must be used. You never find they're automatic. God always appeals through the gospel and the epistles to a Christian's conscience and his will and his mind and his choice. He tells us, put on and put off. He tells us not to do this, do that, because we have the ability to do one or the other. He don't change that. You never change that. Okay? That's another great false heresy. Like, your spirit can't sin, so it's foolishness. Your spirit is your spirit soul. They're not separated as far as your personality. We see God as a diamond. He has many facets, but they're not separated. They're in union with each other. So a Christian or a person of the world has a personality. He is a being. He's a spiritual being too. And it's his spirit and soul that make who he is. So when he dies, his spirit soul is the personality. And will either go to heaven or we'll go to hell. They're not separated. Okay? So we now, the Christians, are groaning. We're in a travailing. We understand these things that are going on. Our own body fights against us. Our mind, the flesh, and then the world and the demonic forces are coming against us because we live in their world. The God of this age has more control over the whole system but God supersedes that in the Christian. The kingdom of God is only in the Christian. It's nowhere else. See, The God of this world, Satan runs the political, religious systems. All of these things are under his power to a great degree, and we're living in his kingdom, but the Lord gives us the power over it and to walk, and by probation and pilgrimage and warfare, we can overcome, and we must overcome to the end. Jesus said, he that endures to the end shall be saved. He that does not endure to the end shall not be saved. It doesn't talk about how many times he was born again or when he came to the Lord. The question is, is he still serving the Lord? Is he following the Lord now? See, that's the issue, not some past experience. Past experiences can be forfeited you don't meet the conditions and stay in the conditions, they're vain. They don't mean nothing. But when the mortal puts on immortality, when we die and we leave our body behind, or when we're raptured, we are transformed from this rapture and this dying in Christ, we will be resurrected in new life spiritually, our spirit soul, and eventually our body. No world, flesh, or devil to deal with once the mortal puts on immortality. That's why in heaven is impossible to sin, because we'll be so close to God's nature, we think and act like he does, and there's no tempter. There's no devil, there's no flesh drawing us. We have no desire or ever will, no more than God has a desire to do evil. It's impossible for him to do evil in the context of who he is. He's stating morally it's impossible. He doesn't sin. He cannot sin as far as he's concerned. He doesn't want to. And we will be in his image when we take on immortality. We will be as the angels that remained faithful. It doesn't say they have to be tested again or they can fall. There's no such thing. Because they overcame their test. Two-thirds of them remained faithful. One-third of them didn't. And so man is being tested also. And those who are faithful to the end and stay with Christ, they will make it. And those who don't will not make it. It's that simple. And 24, verse 24, For in hope we have been saved. Now, a lot of people and heretics don't like these scriptures. They're trying to say it's just for the body. They're misinterpreting the scripture. They're taking one and two scriptures out of context. No, he's talking about the whole being that's going to put on immortality. Our spirit, soul, our being's going to put on. It's not just the body. That's the last. When he's talking to the Christian, he's talking about the Christian spirit and soul, his personality. He's not really talking with just the body. That's just part, the outward. He said, for in hope we have been saved. So we are saved and have eternal life while we stay in Christ, while the branch stays in the vine, while we are led of the Spirit and follow the Lord. And if we cease doing that, we don't have eternal life because it's in the relationship with the Savior. It's not separate from him. But we are hoping for something else. Hope is always future, okay? We hope to have final salvation. We might as well call it that because it's made different. It means permanent. So we don't have that here in this life. Anybody can turn from the Lord. They're not fixed in God because God don't override their will. And if we can be tempted to evil, we can yield to evil. And if we can yield to evil, we reap the consequences of it. If you walk according to the flesh, he said, you will die. That's eternal death. If you walk according to the Spirit, you will live and have righteousness in Christ Jesus. Okay? So he makes it simple. But hope that is seen is not hope. Why will we hope for something that we already have? Well, see, we have eternal life as we stay in the present with Christ. But we don't have the final future salvation, which will be permanent, which will be final. That cannot be undone. It can be undone in this life by not staying in Christ, by not being yoked to him, by not walking in the Spirit, by not having Christ in us. And these things are done with the will and the conscience of the human spirit. And after saved, the Christian still has his will. He's still a personality, and he can yield to the spiritual things, or he can yield to the fleshly. He has the capability to do this, and this is why he's being tested, to prove his loyalty, and God has set up the plan. He sets what he wants. He's testing man, and each one of them will overcome to some degree, or they will not make it into the next kingdom. He wants people and angels that don't have to be tested again, okay? But hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already has, already sees? So many people say, well, we're saved now. Once saved, always saved. That's a lie. You're saved as you stay in Christ. You're saved as you stay in the vine. If you remove yourself, you're not saved, see? So your spiritual transformation and the mortal putting on immortality, that's the future. And we have a future hope. And that's why we look for the second coming of the Lord. When we get everything, we'll be transformed. We'll be loosened from this world. The old nature, the old man and our members will have no effect on us anymore. Here, we war with it. We fight with it. It's a battle. And he tells us this. And he gives us the graces and the aids that are necessary if they're used. So people don't do what the Scripture says. They will not get the results. Okay, That's why we're commanded to put on Christ, to put on the armor, to resist the devil, to make no provision for the flesh. All these things are commanded to the human spirit. He can do it or not do it. So, as we've said often, the prophetic gift, the New Testament prophets, and they were considered the greatest of the ministries, basically. But he said to them, he said, the spirit of prophets are subject to prophets. God doesn't overwhelm them and grab them and make them prophesy. He moves on them. He inspires them. He encourages. But they can say, no, they can refuse to do it. They can refuse to obey the Lord. See? And even when the Gentile became a soothsayer later, Balaam, when he sinned against the Lord, because he saw the angel, which was Christ, with the drawn sword to kill him, he said, I'll do whatever you tell me. That made him speak the truth. He wasn't going to resist. So he would give these prophecies blessing Israel, even though he wanted to curse them for money. But he was afraid, and he rightly so, that God would kill him. So he exercised his will to say, I'll obey God, even though I don't want to. See, his heart was covetous and wicked. He was backslidden, but he was a Gentile prophet. And everything he said came to pass when he prophesied. And then God killed him at the end for his wickedness. So, but he still had the choice to say, I'm not going to obey. And he would have reaped the consequences, okay? So Christians are and have the first fruits. So what are the first fruits? Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ is that Spirit. He is the Holy Spirit. Paul said that Spirit is Christ. Christ is that Spirit. He's one with the Father. He's one with the Spirit. His glory's been restored. He's one with the Godhead. It's Christ that dwells in us. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Father, and the Spirit of Christ are one. And so He's in us. And if we have Him in us, we have the first fruits. He gives us the ability to endure and to overcome. He gives us graces and gifts and abilities that we can live in this wicked world. Okay? He's given us all things, and many promises called Precious Promises. He's given us divine power that we can live this life in godliness. He said, "For if we don't, we're not going to make it. For without holiness, no man's going to see the Lord. Practical holiness, he's telling us in Hebrews is what it is. And God will work it in Christians if he has to punish them and chasten them. But if they keep rebelling, he will eventually cease. See? He has no bastards, but he that keeps resisting the Lord, and is often reproved and corrected, he'll get proud and stubborn, and he says he'll be cut off, and that without remedy. Why? Because he's no longer the Lord. The branch has been cut off. The father's long suffering and patience has come to an end, because he's been given the ability. So it's true these these promises that we are partakers of the divine nature. How are we partakers? We have Christ in us. He renews our spirit. He gives us the power over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Sin shall not have dominion over us because we will not give in. It's not automatic like the heretic thinks. He talks about his position in Christ while he's living in gross sin. He has no position in Christ. When Paul named all of the 20-some sins, and he said, and the such light. That means if I've missed any. If you live that way, he said, you're not going to make it. He didn't say whether you were born again and whether you had once cried. He just said, practice these things, and you will not inherit the heaven. You will not inherit the things of God in heaven. The kingdom of God you will not get because you're not in his kingdom. You're not following the Lord. That nullifies a lot of people's eternal security. Yeah if they were open to the truth. So we Christians are groaning because we have to live in a cursed and fallen world and we have to contend with our old nature. We have to keep it down. We have to deal with the world system and the seduction and lures of the demonic spirits that are ever trying to get us to yield to them. So it's a principle even said in our bodies. It hasn't been freed yet. It's not been totally set free. But the Christian's been given power over it, that we don't have to let it rule us. It will try to rule. It will try to overcome us. It will try to lure us back into the world system and the selfish life and the self-seeking. But we have the ability and the power to say no to it. And if people don't use it, they end up back in that system. And they can claim Jesus all they want. And they can say, Lord, Lord, all they want. And they'll be cast into the lake of fire at the end, believing a lot of Christian doctrine, but they're not living it. So it isn't doing them a bit of good. Okay. For we've been saved in this hope. We are hoping, a great statement here, This, again, refutes the once-saved-always-saved theories that we're saved past, present, and future for the individual that's not taught in Scripture. The plan is permanent, and God provided one sacrifice to take care of the past, present, and future. But if you don't get with the plan, it don't apply to you. Remember we said Paul told the Gentiles when God rejected most of the Jews the olive branch, and cut them off because of the rebellion and sin. He said, you've been grafted in. He's talking about the Gentiles. You've been offered a way of life in Christ, into Israel, spiritual Israel. He said, but if you don't abide in his goodness, you'll be cut off also. So the individual can be cut off. God's plan will stand. There will be a church if there's two people, a spiritual church and it's getting darker and darker. But the plan God's going to go through with, and he'll have a people, that's not going to change. And he's already overcome through Christ, but not for the individual. The individual has to stay with Christ and come to Christ and stay with him, or he will be cut off also, okay? So he's telling us we're only saved and have salvation, as I say over and over again, as we stay in Christ. He is our salvation, okay? If the branch ceases to remain and abide in Christ, divine, it is cut off from him. We say this over and over again. People say, well, why do you harp on these? Because that's where we're at. The greatest heresies out there is false Christianity. Well, why don't you do this and do that? Because it don't affect your spiritual walk. You go ahead and study who the kings of Judah are and all of these other things. They're fine if you're a Christian. But if you're studying these things and you're not obeying the Lord, you shouldn't even read your Bible. If you have no intentions to follow the Lord, you're just going to open yourself up to more judgment. See, people are ever learning, but never coming into the knowledge of the truth. So they want information, but they don't have spiritual life. See? They don't want to obey the Lord, and so their spirituality ceases. They deceive themselves. It's those who walk in the Spirit. This is continuous. So no more spiritual life, no eternal life, no salvation to the Christian who gets cut off as a branch. Jesus said, every branch in me, they were in Christ. Christ was in them. They were born again. They were regenerated. They ceased to bear fruit. They didn't stay with him. They just gave him some lip service after a while. Or as the parable says of the the sowing, it said they endured for a little while. They got saved and they thought it was joyful. Their sins were removed. They were placed in Christ and they were joyful. And it says, and they endure for a little while, but when trial and temptation comes because of the word, they fall away because they don't take the warning to drink the milk and get grounded and prepare for spiritual warfare. See, they don't do what they're told to do. So when the warfare comes, they can't stand, because they're not prepared, and they're not using the weapons, and they're not being led of the Spirit. So that's a group of many. They endure for a little while, but that's not enough. It's only those who are faithful and bear fruit and continually bear fruit and are continually faithful are going to be saved. So hope in the present state has no substance and it's just present. The substance is now, but we're looking for the hope that we're looking for is a final salvation. We have it present as we abide in him. It's conditional. People say, well, they're all all covenants of God are conditional on the divine side and man's side. The plan of salvation is unconditional. God set that up. The receiving of the plan is man's business, okay? And see, people don't want to believe that because, see, they're lazy and wicked. They're called lazy and wicked servants. They want God's salvation, and and they want his blessings, but they want to live like the world and be selfish and don't want to serve the Lord and don't want to stand for the Lord. So they deceive themselves, let themselves be deceived, and that's what happens to them. So hope of salvation is future. For us, it's always future. And like you said, why hope? if we already have permanent salvation. We do not have permanent salvation. So many people would have counsel and argue. They try to convince me. Well, you don't understand. I'm once saved, always saved, past, present, future. You're a liar because you don't know scripture. Well, yeah, one sailor wanted to tell me how he was born again and saved forever. He said, but I don't have time right now. I got to go meet this prostitute and spend the night with her, but I'll come back later and talk to you. I told him he was on his way to Lake of Fire didn't have to bother coming back. When people are that blatant in sin, you leave them alone. You don't try to enlighten them. Jesus said, leave them alone. The blind lead the blind. They both fall into debt. He's not interested in people that are not seeking him and pursuing him. See, he lets them be deceived. He gives them a lying spirit. They want to play with the spirit of grace. He knows how to handle this. Don't waste your time with heretics and false people. You waste your time arguing with them. After two or three times, be gracious and so, but don't have enough to do with it spiritually. Let's take a break here.